0: Well, show me the way to the next whiskey bar, Oh don't ask why. Show me the way to the next little girl, don't ask why. That was Jim Morrison crooning with the doors in 1967. Rolling down the street, smoking Indo, sipping on gin and juice, laid back. With my mind on my money and... Snoop Dogg, '93. Cheers to the freaking weekend! I drink to that. Oh, let the Jameson sink in! I drink to that. Don't let the bastards get you down. Turn it around with another round. There's a party at the bar. Everybody, put up your glasses. Your glasses up! I drink to that. Rihanna, '2010. Then we'll finish with Carrie Underwood. We should be drinking alone together. Drowning the pain is better with somebody else who got problems. We ain't going to solve them, but misery loves company. Tonight, all I need is a stranger, lips with a whiskey chaser. Popular songs, well-crafted songs with some of them have some brilliant turns of phrase, wouldn't you agree? I mean, turn it around with another round, that's, that's pretty solid. Tonight, all I need is a stranger lips with a whiskey chaser. I admit that works. That that is real poetry. There's a reason that we love these songs. They display some some artistry about all of our experience. Well, as Ryan mentioned, we're continuing with our teaching series that we're calling Proverbs. Wisdom for a Wired World, and we're exploring this ancient Hebrew book called Proverbs that seeks to offer us insight to have a better life. And here we find some millennia-old turns of phrase that are a little different than those songs that we have in our back pocket or maybe at home on vinyl. I'm going to read a couple particular phrases from the book of Proverbs that I think exemplify a common theme. We We could read verses like this all throughout the book, but I'm just going to read a few. See if you note if they're a little different than some of our favorite songs. Proverbs 21, verse 17. Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Chapter 23, verse 19. Listen, my son, and be wise and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Verse 26 My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes delight in my ways. For an adulterous woman is a deep pit, and a wayward wife is a narrow well. Like a bandit, she lies in wait. I think what the writer is saying is pretty clear, but I just want to read a couple of these verses again. In chapter 23, verse 20, do not join with those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. Verses 27 and 28, an adulterous woman is a deep pit and a wayward wife is a narrow well. Like a bandit, she lies in Wait. So it seems to me that some of the turns of phrase of some of our favorite songs kind of imply that the good life is found in physical pleasure. It's kind of implied that at the end of a long week, if, if you can get tanked or have a roll in the hay with someone attractive, or at least, you know, sit down with some potato chips and some chocolate ice cream, that's a great way to unwind. Where Proverbs kind of suggests something else, doesn't it? kind of suggesting to us that a physical pleasure, wine, food, a satisfying lover in person or on screen, gets us the most excited, that might not end well. We we might find that that wasn't offering what we were hoping. And my guess is there are a number of us in this room who feel a little torn, right? I mean, we can admit the problems with addiction, There's a lot of personal pain. There's there's a lot of hurt for others around. We, We know there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. But last night was a good time, right? Because the bottles were uncorked. Because the food tasted great. We admit readily that sex can bring some excitement to a rather dull life. It seems for a lot of us modern people that These biblical texts can seem like a little bit of a downer at times. And I would say you're right. These experiences, fine beverage, fine food, being intimate with someone that we've committed ourselves to, these can not only be good experiences, sometimes they're great experiences. But this morning, I want to highlight some of the reasons that I think the writer of Proverbs is wanting us to to kind of pump the brakes a little bit says, this stuff is good, but, but watch out. Why the writer takes a, a different angle, if you will, than some of our favorite artists. and I, Because I think their main point is rather clear. I'm not going to rehash that. But I want to focus, maybe offer five reflections, at least why I think the writer of Proverbs would offer this advice. And as usually happens when I'm up here talking, we will have some time to interact afterwards when I'm done. So if you have a question, if there's something I said that didn't make sense, if you were feeling pretty caffeinated and you want to challenge me and you say I'm wrong, that's great too. We'll pass a a microphone around afterwards and we can interact together. So my my first reflection on why the writer might say this. It seems that life would go better if people with power lived sober and self-controlled lives. People with power lived self-controlled lives. The the ancient Greek philosopher Plato uh, died in, in 350 B.C., long before Jesus. But he founded the first university in the Western world, the Academy in Athens, and by all accounts was a pretty brilliant guy. He was so smart that the political leaders of his day would often recruit him as kind of a side gig and say, advise me, teach me how to rule my city so that it'll thrive. I hear you're the smartest guy around. Can you help me figure out how to do this? And Plato tells us what he would say to them. He'd end up in the palace and he'd be like, all right, you really want this to go well in the city? And they'd be like, yes, give me all your brilliance. And he'd he's like, all right, here's the first thing. I want you to quit getting drunk, no more. No more getting drunk. And those sex parties you've been going to, no more sex parties. In fact, I don't want you doing nightlife at all. I want you going to bed early. In fact, if you're up for it, you might just try being chaste, no sex at all for a little while. Just, just try it out. And those old drinking buddies of yours that are always a good time, I don't want you talking to them anymore. Cut them out of your life. And I don't know your city, but there's got to be some people around here who have a reputation for just being good people. They are just, people are like, yes, they are good, decent, kind people. Make those your new friends. That's who I want you to hang out with. Uh, Quit pigging out on food. In fact, I think two or three days a week you should try fasting. Yep, I know it's going to sound hard at first, but two or three days a week, I don't want you to eat any food at all. And Plato says, I would tell them, why don't you do this for about a year, and I think everything will change in your city. Why? Because you won't be driven by your ego anymore. And so every time another city-state does something you don't like, your first thought won't be like, you know what, we should go to war and just kill them all because I'm offended. You won't do that anymore. It won't be about your ego, so you won't imagine wonderful projects that can have your name on it built to the city. In fact, you'll actually grow in compassion for the poor and the widows and orphans. So here's the whole plan. Do what I'm telling you, and everything will work out for the city. What do you think the rulers did? They all said, "Uh, why don't you get out of here? That didn't sound very fun. Plato says, no one would take him up on that. A few years ago, I was with some of our students in Toronto, and we just go to different places and kind of expose them to interesting people. So we went to a public lecture for the psychologist Jordan Peterson. Maybe you've heard of him. I don't know. But one of the things he said in his talk is he did his PhD dissertation on alcoholism. And he said in North America, approximately 95% of murders, either the perp or the victim, or both are drunk. 95%. He says when it comes to domestic violence, when some guy is smacking around his wife or his kids, about 98% of the time they are drunk or maybe high. And he says, hey, I'm not going to win any friends here tonight, but if we kind of like cut out alcohol, we would almost get rid of violence. Almost altogether. Now, we're not going back to prohibition, that temperance... Movement in the early 20th century that made alcohol illegal. Didn't work. And I'd be lying if I said I was for that. I enjoy a drink now and then. But that who started that brief period? Do you know historically? Women. Women were tired of drunk men assaulting them, either in the streets or behind closed doors. The largest feminist organization in the world in the 19th century, had one mission, get men to quit drinking alcohol. Because there were so many assaults. So with this in mind, maybe this is something for some of us to consider. If we have any power or influence. Maybe you lead an organization. Maybe you manage employees. Maybe you care for children. Maybe you just have a larger physical presence than most people. Could it be that others could benefit from us being the kind of people that learn to discipline our appetites a little bit more? Could that create a better life for those in our sphere of influence? Second reflection. If you don't want to be controlled by powerful people, fight against their attempts to addict you. Now, all through history, Powerful people, you know, they kind of take advantage of the masses. They get rich while everyone else is poor. They're kind of in charge when no one else has to say. So what they tend to do is say, let's find a way of making the people feel good right now in the moment. And if they do, everything will be okay. If you go back to ancient Rome, there were bread and circuses. They give the people wheat and all the spectacles in the arena. Why? They'll be happy enough, they'll feel good, they won't revolt. You go back to early industrial times, this is Kind of hard for us to think about now. But when people were working in the mines, the owners would literally give people vodka while they were at work. Why? So they wouldn't think about how miserable and dangerous their job was. Michael Moss says in Sugar, Salt, Fat, that food manufacturers quite literally hire biochemists with PhDs to create food to be addicting to you. There is a reason you're like, I don't know why I keep trying, but I can't stay off those potato chips. They were designed in a lab so that you couldn't stay off those potato chips. The historian Yuval Harari, he imagines a a future that he's trying to dissuade us from. But he says, if we don't change things, where we are going is a world where the rich and powerful will give us a modest basic income and just enough psych meds that we will be content to stay home in our apartments all day and just play Xbox and let them do whatever they want with the culture. There's a reason that St. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he's quoting others. He says, he quotes them and he says that they claim, I have the right to do anything. And then his reply is, but I will not be mastered by anything it's difficult for you and I to claim that we are free and other people are not in charge of us and to be addicted to something at the same time. This was emerged in the straight-edge punk scene in the early 80s on the East Coast. These are, you know, from the punk music scene, these are guys who are fighting the man who realize you can't fight the man and be addicted at the same time. No drugs, no drinking, and for a lot of them, no sex. That's what it takes to fight back. Number three, third reflection. If we deal with our negative emotions through quickly making our body feel better, we may never find out what is truly going on within us. If when we have a bad day, we just want to feel better physically, we may never really understand what the problem is. Consider someone like Amy. Super organized, great with people, she's always done super well professionally. Any organization she's been in, she's climbed the ladder. And if you've been in professional circles at all with people that make some coin, what those individuals like to do sometimes late at night when work's finally over is throw back a little brandy, maybe puff on a few marlboros together. And Amy did that like everyone else. But as time goes on, one of her friends says, hey, I'm a little worried about your health. You can't be drinking several nights a week and And always having cigarettes in your car and live well, like, I'm concerned. And as Amy thinks about it, I mean, she's always kept it real. She's done well professionally. But as she thinks about it, there's been a couple times when she's so busy, she wasn't able to drink or smoke, and she felt better. So she says, you know what, that's great. No more drinks, no more smokes, I'm done. And after a couple of days of adjusting physically, she feels pretty good. I mean, she knows she's going to live longer. She starts to feel cleaner. But then something surprising happens to Amy. This hard-charging, busy, get-her-done woman finds herself tearing up and crying regularly. For the first time in years, she's at work and she ain't thinking about work. She's thinking about some of her past relationships. For the first time since she can remember, she feels almost not in control. Her opinions are changing on people, on society, and the way she understands herself. Sobriety starts to bring up stuff, and it can be destabilizing. This is what happens when we haven't been aware that we've been using wine, or that food, or streaming whatever that is to feel better, and we stop, we actually feel worse. Because we've been self-medicating, we had no idea. No one knows that they self-medicate until they stop. I know some of you are thinking, Brian, you got no idea what my life is. I feel like I'm barely staying above water. Work, my my work, my job, it sucks. I hate it, but I need the money. My relationships, bro, I can talk to you for three hours about my family, how complicated it is. The only thing I have to look forward to is at the end of the day when everything is over, I drink this, I eat that, or I do you know what? If that is you, I want to say I get it. I believe you. Your pain is real and what you are describing. You're speaking authentically and honestly. It is hard there's something not wrong with you, but there's probably something that's been wrong that's happened to you, and it's down there. And the reason that if you can't have another glass of wine or you can't have another piece of cake, you just feel like it was a bad day, it's because it's starting to come up, whatever that is. And as crazy as it might sound, it's gotta come up, you gotta feel the pain, you gotta go through a season of this is awful, to figure out what the real problem is. It normally hurts a little more before it gets dealt with. And if you're here this morning and you're like, I've never realized it to now, but that's me. Okay, I admit my girlfriend, I admit so-and-so has said, man, you're drinking a lot. It's just now, talk to Pastor Ryan, talk to me afterwards privately, we'll put you in touch with someone that you can process this with but you won't know what's going on as long as you keep doing that every day. Number four, if your favorite aspect of life is partying and feeling good, aging will be hell for you. I got more of a laugh than I was expecting there. Okay, so I, I realize as I look around, I know I'm the old man here in the room, and many of you are young and fabulous, but I hate to tell you this, You ain't going to stay young and fabulous. You know how you looked in the mirror when you looked today and you're like, that's all right. It's not going to look like that forever. It's going to change. Wrinkles are going to show up. Hair is going to start missing. And even worse, hair is going to start growing in the wrong places. And that is worse. But if you've ever been around any old people, really old people, don't you notice some of them are nasty, right? Like they're mean, they're grumpy, they're not happy people. And I don't just mean because things hurt. I mean they're just not nice people. Why? I want to go back to to Plato's Republic, and I know it's the second time here today, but Martin Luther King Jr. said if he was on a desert island and he could have one book besides the Bible, it would be the Republic. So maybe you want to read it at some point. But back in 375 B.C., um, as Plato writes this, he talks about Socrates is talking to an old man named Cephalus. And Socrates is not overly mannerly, so he just comes right out and he's like, hey, you're kind of old. What's it like being old? Why don't you tell us how how you're dealing with your old self? And Cephalus says, I will tell you, Socrates, men of my age flock together and at our meetings the tale commonly is, I cannot eat, I cannot drink. The pleasures of youth and love are fled away. There was a good time once long ago, but now that is gone, and life is no longer life. Or, I used to be able to party, now I can't, and this kind of sucks. But to me, Socrates, these complainers seem to blame that which is not really in fault. The truth is that these regrets are to be attributed to the same cause, which is not old age, but men's character's. For he who is of a calm and happy nature will hardly feel the pressure of age. You see what Cephalus is getting at. He's saying if life is about looking good and feeling good and having a great time and closing it down on Friday night, once you get a little bit older, you're going to have nothing. Because your body ain't going to let you do that or even if you want to, people will look at you and they won't want to do it with you anymore. But he says, if that's not what your life is about, if it's about serving others and being thankful and knowing God, you will be fine as the hair falls out. You will still find meaning and joy in life, even when your body doesn't work like it used to. What did Jesus say? Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who said this? Jesus, but who was he? A chaste, sober, single, poor man who unjustly was murdered in his early 30s. And if he is right that his way offers rest for our souls, do you see what he's saying? There must be a way of life that is pleasing and brings peace and contentment and joy that you can still have when you are old and no longer young and fabulous. That you can still have without keeping the party going every Friday night. Okay. I have one final reflection, and like I said, we'll have some time to interact together. Number five, recognize that some of us need experiences of altered states of consciousness, and that is okay. This is more than okay. Some of us need altered states of consciousness. Now, St. Paul said something interesting, at least to me, in the book of Ephesians. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, a whole lot of bad stuff going on. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Are you catching Paul? He is saying that drunkenness is a false substitute for being filled with the Spirit of God. It comes from the same desire, but it's a false substitute. Why would he say this? Well, Because life is hard. It's difficult, and when it's not difficult, it's suffering, and when we're not suffering, someone we love is suffering, and when it's not all that, it's just boring. And so we long for an experience that is better, that is different, that is more than our normal way of acting and thinking. An altered state of consciousness. There's kind of two ways of getting at it. One is quick hit of physical pleasure. Drink this, eat that, smoke that, a quick sex romp. That's one way, but so are spiritual practices. If you fast, like don't eat, for several hours, human growth hormone begins to be released in your brain, and over time, it brings a sense of euphoria. If you spend enough time kind of rhythmically dancing and singing, repetitively, the same phrases, musical worship, that can take us to a different place. And there are forms of contemplative prayer with certain breathing techniques that if you've never experienced them, you would be shocked at the overwhelming sense of happiness and positive feelings that those breathing techniques can do. If you've never experienced them, you are missing out. So I want to suggest it's okay to crave to need an altered state of consciousness. It might just be you haven't found the right one yet. It might be that burning desire for another buzz or a rush of carbs or another experience of sex is actually a hunger for God that you are misinterpreting as a need for physical pleasure. The 20th century British writer C.S. Lewis said, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. If he's right, maybe you should be more hungry for altered states of consciousness than you are.